0: got a lot to say about the world i occupy every day but when i say what's on my mind i find i piss people off you're listening to what the folk real talk and raw tunes for Revolutionary times i'm emily yates
1: and i'm sarah baronowskis
0: and on this episode of what the folk we're joined by melody walker lead singer and songwriter for progressive bluegrass band Front Country. Paste Magazine called her an outspoken force in bluegrass who routinely calls out the sexism, racism, and injustice she sees in the world.
2: One of the, the biggest things that I've sort of learned in like trying to do more anti-racism work internally in the last few years is like the, the radical notion that what if when people of color talk about their experience in the world and they talk about white people being racist what if that did apply to me what if that was about me because Mm -hmm. because it is
0: we're calling this episode good vibes only and before we get started if you've been liking what you hear on what the folk and want to show us some love please do go over to itunes and give us a five-star rating and glowing review and that will help get the word out to even more wonderful people like you now a brand new song from Front Country's brand new album, Impossible World, this one is called American Dream.
3: Running on credit, but the shipping is free. You're free to believe in the American Dream. Working in a warehouse with no AC. You're free to believe in the American Dream. Dying on a man now, living in a screen. You're free to believe in the American dream. They say you in a prison, cause you.
2: I'm so bad at knowing what anyone would like want to hear me talk about or they think that is my nexus of
0: things that I would talk about. Well, Maybe we can flesh that out here today. We can talk about what is Melody Walker a subject matter expert on because I feel like there are a lot of things. Yeah, we can talk about all these things. Though. I'm down. Nothing's off limits.
2: Um, <laughs> yeah. And you probably know more about what you think I would be good at talking about anyway. So appreciate you.
0: Oh, yeah. I miss you, Emily. Oh, Good to I see your face. We've been texting this time, but we haven't
2: like zoomed.
0: I know. I was telling Sarah the last time I saw you was like at like January 2nd, I think it was like the very beginning of the year when we were like 2019 was insane and 2020 is going to be so much worse. We have no idea why, but it will be. Well, there was like the Iran war thing at oh, the yeah, very beginning was... of the year. That was just like the appetizer. Mm hmm. It was um, it was already interesting times even on the first and second of January and now we're halfway through October and shit is <laughs> is getting realer than I even I called.
2: <laughs> I was I was thinking y'all if you if you want we could make like bad predictions for for what is going to happen because this is going to air apparently right after the election that could be fun just to make like just predictions that there's no way that it's gonna it's gonna be. A thousand times crazier than whatever we say.
1: I mean, I've never really been very good at predicting what happens with politics, but like, I feel like right now, literally anything could happen. So any prediction we make, I mean, who knows? So, We could just go with like super outlandish ones. Like, why not?
0: I mean, the aliens are definitely coming in the new year, if not before. (laughs)
2: <laughs> did, you, did you see my uh my new cover photo <laughs> i no. found this thing on this like new age q and on oh wait
0: yes i did facebook <laughs> and it was their lemurians. cover photo
2: and i stole it cause it was so good yeah it's like <laughs> l- like lemurians meeting with president trump like Le- lemurians because he's, a, he's yes. a light worker yeah oh yeah that whole thing that's fun oh, that's man. a fun fun shit
3: Ooh, so, it, like, it would whoever... be fun if it weren't
0: if they weren't serious i know that's the thing. is so much of what's going on right now would be hilarious if it wasn't real. <laughs> like whoever is watching the reality, cheaty tv show of what's happened of earth right now because i feel like there has to be somebody watching they're like oh my god it was like that episode yeah, of the lemurians yeah, <laughs> that episode of south
1: park where their um earth is just a giant reality tv show are we are we like
0: wasting all our good material right now we're getting we're getting all of all of our theories in the in the net of of wacky theories Yeah, so time travel is definitely a thing, and I think all the future time travelers are just like really good at not talking about time travel, or else they get committed. So maybe, maybe the next few months, maybe the day after the election is when time travel, uh, the time travelers reveal themselves. They
2: think that Trump is a time traveler. They think he knows all this stuff, and then he like went back to the '80s Mm -hmm. to like get himself to be able to run for president someday. Hey, Marty already
0: McFlyed us.
2: <laughs> Seriously, they do, they do
0: think that. That's one vein of like... Yeah, I mean, I feel like so many things could happen. Like Biden could get COVID. Like everybody in D.C. could get COVID and all of the oldest people could die from it, even if they're wealthy. Because as we've seen, even, you know, being well off does not necessarily save one. And uh, and then we could just end up with all of, like, the, the young, healthy evil to battle it out <laughs> in the Capitol.
1: Yeah, I'm starting um, to think, like, who would... It would be, like, Pete Buttigieg and some of those new QAnon fucking yeah. state reps, like, battling it out for supremacy. That is, that is a horrifying future.
2: <laughs> I saw Mayor Pete, actually, on this thing earlier. He... I, I think it was Colbert. He, like... He was doing the debate prep. He was playing Pence in the debate
0: prep he does with look like Kamala. Mini Pence. He was like he's like Pence Jr. He was actually like
2: in there. Both from Indiana, and so he like knows his idiosyncrasies really well, and the like religious thing because like he's been persecuted by it as an Indianan. You know, right? Oh so yeah. it it actually was pretty likable and awesome. It was like he did his Pence impression on there, and it was just him just being like the most like sanctimonious like.
0: Gaslighting
2: wow. motherfucker.
0: Uh, so you know, speaking of that, you know, since we've uh, we've got so many uh, so many wonderful you know potentialities coming down the pike, um, we could definitely. I would love to hear about your new music that you've been working on. It's really like right now, I don't understand how politics can't be seeping into everybody's music who makes music and I feel like you have done a pretty excellent job of that so um, if you want to share some of your inspiration and muse and process it'd be rad
2: yeah I've always wanted to be like a protest songwriter Um, but you know it's a it's a skill it's a really hard thing to do to write a song that is like preachy But also doesn't turn people off or something. Uh I don't know that people can hear, if that makes Uh sense. Um, So I've just been plugging away at it for years, you know, trying to write message songs, protest songs. There's, you know, I don't really know what a protest song is. Like, I think most things are protest songs because, like, I'm a feminist and the personal (laughs) is political. So Uh I don't really know where to draw the line there. But. Yeah, um, I've just been practicing it, trying to find where that line is, where my voice fits into it, and I feel more secure. You know, I'm in my mid thirties; I'm just hitting my stride.
0: Power and, years,
2: yeah. I'm, I feel like I am just not afraid to be myself and write the songs I want to write. I can be like pretty frank with my songwriting and not have a lot of pretense or even poetry, really. I don't like, I've always felt like poems and songs are very different animals. And I hate songs that are poems. I just think they're so <laughs> tedious. And, you know, they're wordy, they don't sing well. Because what looks good on a page as a poem is just so different than what sings well. And I think songs, you know, do better with simpler words, kind of getting to the heart of the matter, being colloquial with their language. Um, and, and it's a fleeting medium too. So you kind of, you have to be able to hear it right away. You have to get the message right away. And it can't be something that's dense that you have to like parse through. Some people like songwriters like that, where you want to go back and listen to it like a million times Uh. to get the message. That's just not me. That's not what I do. I want you to like hear what I have to say. I mean, I literally wrote a song about that, which is our latest single broken record. Which is just like, if I sound like a broken record, you ain't heard me yet, you know? So Yeah,
0: I love that song and the whole album, which I feel really lucky to already have listened to a lot of times and loved.
2: When this comes out, it'll be out. It comes out on October 30th. So Fantastic. it'll have been out. So when when you're hearing this right now, you can, you can find it. You can hear the whole thing.
0: Nice. The, the anticipation doesn't need to build for too long with anybody. We're gratifying people yeah. instantly. <laughs>
2: we're all about that. Hopefully it'll just be a celebration of a good election that just happened. <laughs> um, we, yeah, we're, we're here from the past to, to talk to you wherever you are on <laughs> November 4th, I guess, is when this mm. is coming out. Yeah, it'll be a real special What the Folk Wednesday, that's for sure. The, the day after Election Day is a, a, a scary day now for all of us
1: to think about where we were last time. So where were you guys? I was at work, mostly talking to my students. I'm a librarian, and at least in my previous position that I had at the time, I supervised the student staff. So it was it was really interesting talking to, like, younger millennials and Gen Z. I felt like they were just so much more informed about things than the folks around my, I'm 38, around my age, and I felt like I could have better political conversations with them about what was happening. And it wasn't even like a... Because they leaned a certain way politically, they just had a better sense of, like, they can see through all the bullshit because they've been raised in a more, I think they're more like digitally conscious generation. They were like, why didn't she campaign in Michigan? Why did she campaign in Wisconsin instead of just being like, I'm a rich white liberal and now I need to go to therapy because I just realized <laughs> yeah. racism exists. So. Things have never been this bad. Yeah. Yeah which I just, I really hated seeing those reactions. It was a bit very embarrassing. So that was what I was doing mostly, was just on a college campus where people were really silent and you felt this heaviness in the air, but um, it was also folks were having a lot of good conversations that day.
0: Yeah, I was in um, Oakland at the time, and uh, I was around the educated, financially secure, white liberal demographic Uh, Most of the people in the room were shocked that Trump won. And I was more unsettled by that almost than by the fact that he won because I had been driving around playing shows and doing various things around the country with, you know, with Iraq vets against the war and, you know, various actions around the election. And I had seen like nothing but Trump signs everywhere, and I had not—I'd only seen Hillary signs in Berkeley and Burlington, Vermont, and Ithaca, New York, um, all of the beautiful liberal bastions, right? And and uh, you know, but the whole rest of the country was covered in Trump, and so I—I I just remember being very. Um, bothered by how taken by surprise everyone was and there was or actually there were a couple of kids in the room who were like young teenagers I think 13 14 maybe and um one was a non-binary kid who was freaking out and they were just like he's gonna do the conversion camps that I need to leave the country right now I felt like they were the only the only one like reacting appropriately and everyone else was just like stunned. And um then but then we also in California legalized weed that day and that's when I wrote the I wrote a song the next day to express my frustrations and I've still stayed frustrated. <laughs> we were on a Southwest flight from
2: from Nashville to start a tour in Seattle when the election results were coming in, right? So we had like the free Southwest TV cable news, you know, on your device. <laughs> So everybody was watching the returns come in and mm-hmm. like, and it was an evening flight. So it was just like when it was all happening and it was such a weird experience being in, you know, on a commercial flight with a mix of people. Um, several of them, you know, were clearly watching the returns come in on Fox news channel oh. and, you know, other ones were watching MSNBC or whatever other, or CNN, whatever, whichever their thing of choice was, it was kind of interesting to see that because it was definitely this like very somber feeling in the plane. People looking around with suspicion at each other, you know, like who did this? Did you do this? Mm-hmm. Um, walking off the plane, it was like a fricking funeral in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Cause I think we got off the plane at like midnight, you know, it was when it was like pretty sure that, that it was going to go that way. The, the flight attendants had been handing out all these extra cookies, like free <laughs> Oreos for everyone as it was happening. Like they saw, like the, the vibe was heavy for sure. And then, and yeah, we, we slept in a hotel room and like woke up. I think I cried and I was just really happy to be on the West coast though. Cause mm-hmm. I had just moved, um, that year to Nashville and, uh, and then suddenly it was like living in this very red state with Trump as president and was like, Oh, is this like dangerous? Was this a bad move? I don't know. You know, people have been living, it's probably fine. It's Nashville. It's a blue dot, you know? Um, but it did sort of change my feelings about it and, And it felt good to be on the West Coast. It felt safer. And just like maybe we could talk about it with people and decompress. So we played that day after the election. We played a show in Bellingham at the Green Frog Tavern, which doesn't exist Mm. anymore, sadly. A lot Mm. of places aren't going to exist. They closed before this, though. Yeah, it was a great spot. They used to have really epic grilled cheese sandwiches. Um, Mm. And we played a show there, and it felt really good to to be around people just kind of grieving and we were trying to lift people up. I got to say though, I I have to cop to having some of those sort of liberal feelings of shock. You know, I was definitely shaken awake by the Trump presidency and the subsequent conversations around sexism and racism and all that stuff. Um, I still had a lot of stuff to learn. I went to a very hippie liberal arts college. You know, I thought I knew my shit. I didn't know anything. And so it, It did start me on a journey of of just realizing why certain people didn't feel like this was any different than it had been in America um, before, and really sitting with why I felt like it was different and why other people didn't feel like it was a different level of oppression at all. And um, I think that's the most powerful thing that, that people have learned from this, hopefully.
1: Well, I appreciate that you did that work. If my like saltiness comes out towards a certain type of liberal, it's just because I'm very frustrated that four years into this, some people seem to see this as an aberration. They don't seem to want to learn the lessons from this, and they don't want to tangle with the systematic problems, and they seem to think that voting for Biden is going to make all of this go away. There are harm reduction arguments to be made, and those are valid arguments, but um, I get frustrated when I, I, I just start questioning people's commitment to actually wanting to take on the systematic structures that led to this. So I appreciate that you were doing that work.
2: It, I mean, it's, it's for me, right? It's like to be a more whole human being who, who's actually like empathetic and feeling other people's oppression and not um, gaslighting them. I do have faith that a lot of people have learned those lessons. It's not everybody, obviously, but I think, I think it is on this arc toward more understanding and more real inner work as far as dismantling white supremacy, especially. Um, We'll see. We'll see if it sticks. I'm deeply afraid of if... Biden wins you know it being like oh here's your cozy status quo again isn't that what you wanted you know yeah
0: I mean I think like the cold comfort to me is that the status quo is never going to be regained right now because these white supremacist groups have been empowered now and also climate change is accelerating super hard so you know the I think we're just going to have to brace ourselves for, I think, a lot of the divisiveness that's been intentionally sewn for the last few years, specifically, even though it's built into our nation's fabric, divisiveness, you know. But it's been so aggressively um, exacerbated over the last few years that it's going to take a lot. You can't just put that back under the surface. It's, it's, it's there now the pots boiling over and whether Biden technically wins or not. I mean, as we recall, Hillary won the popular vote. So we're witnessing the, the covers being pulled off like so completely from our system and it's not going to be possible to put them back on after this. I have no idea what it's going to look like if people try to do that.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I I think you might be right that it, uh, the cat's out of the bag. Everybody kind of, like, sees the problems there, and, and it can't it can't go back. Like, it's we're at this place where we really have to either choose to do the work to, like, make our democracy a real thing, finally, that mm-hmm. actually represents anyone, or choose to let it fall. Because it doesn't work just to sweep it under the rug. So it's, like, either we're just going to, like, you know, let the empire run its course, like, really quickly into the ground, <laughs> or we're going to, like, actually change something, which I hope, I mean... I don't even know how we do it, but electoral reform is obviously like the number one thing that would make this possible, you know, um, and it's a first past the post system and it's two party rule. And that's just kind of how it works at the higher level. And we have to change that. And so hopefully, hopefully that can be part of the, the conversation about, okay, what, how do we make our democracy real?
0: It's really interesting to think about like how our votes count and how our electoral, um, our electoral system works and the way that it was it was actually never intended to work for everyone it was always intended to silence um, the voices of the most oppressed and elevate the voices of the oppressors and and the more we can sort of get comfortable with that uncomfortable reality I feel like it's the easier it is to build a new thing it's, it's also, I think though, that when we talk about doing the work, the work takes so many different forms that don't necessarily have to do with elections. And like you do a lot of work, not only with your music, but also just by being an outspoken woman in a very like male dominated um, industry specifically, obviously we're in a male dominated country and world, but you're in a particularly patriarchal industry. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know if it's effective.
2: Probably most of them just curse my name all the time, but <laughs> I just don't care. I think I think at the at best, and sometimes I think about this with songs too. Sometimes being outspoken is um, a virtue in itself for people who don't feel as comfortable or don't feel safe being outspoken. They can like see you saying something that they wish that they could say, but for whatever reason, they can't or they don't feel comfortable or safe to do it. I get messages all the time from people who are like, Oh my God, thank you for saying that. Like I could never say that or because of the band that I'm in or whatever, you know, as you know, I'm kind of, I have been in the, the bluegrass scene kind of more before um, the direction that our band has been taking. We started out winning the Telluride bluegrass competition um, and the Rocky grass competition. So we were just kind of this weird prog uh, <laughs> Newgrass band uh, with this like bluesy chick singer. And, you know, we were in there and, and people wanted that kind of different band. And so we got bookings and stuff and we would play some really traditional festivals. I definitely tried to befriend a lot of these more traditional artists because they're, you know, in bluegrass, the musicianship is so great. There's a lot of, I think, mutual respect, at least as far as like being able to play music. I have had access to, and I have like, you know, my friends list on Facebook is a lot of bluegrass people. And, um, I think it's been really good to have that diversity in there, um, but I hear from people in that scene, particularly who are like, "Oh man, because of the band that I'm in, I can't talk about this or that, and I just want to thank you for saying something. They just <laughs> People get a kick out of it, I guess. I'm sure you've gotten that too.
0: Yeah, I definitely have. And I think it speaks volumes to just like the nature of these, of the music industry in general, that there are people who feel like because they're in a certain group that they can't speak out. They just can't. It's terrible because if everyone who had something to say did... Speak out, then none of this would be able to be stigmatized because it would be so visibly regular. And I get it. I definitely get it. I get messages from people saying like because they're afraid of some kind of reprisal, they can't say anything, or because they don't want everyone to hate them. And I'm just like, cool. I'm fine if everyone hates me. <laughs> I'm used to it. That's why we're friends. We I just know. Don't, we like. We want to be infamous. We're fine with it. <laughs> I love it's that. It's a special bond.
2: Yes. I mean, <laughs> women deserve to be infamous. We should have more infamous women.
0: We definitely should. And I think that we actually do. Like the, the thing that's been empowering and encouraging to me lately, even though I've seen a lot of men, like just rear their misogyny up and like strike out with it more and more lately, I've seen more and more um, women and non-binary folks, you know, and even some men just stepping up and saying, no, that's actually not okay and i'm okay with you being uncomfortable with me saying that that's not okay because your discomfort is not worse than the pain that i'm experiencing by you being wrong yes Normalized
2: <laughs> dissent normalized boundaries i love that mm-hmm. yeah like normalization's real representation's real so mm-hmm. i'm just always going to like just get out there and and be that girl who's who's oh, yeah. down to like say the The unpopular thing or the thing that um, the thing that I'm feeling that I know no one else wants to say, like, I'm just okay with that. And it's it's probably awful for my music career, honestly, especially (laughs) moving to Nashville. I have like this paranoia about it because I think, you know, in the South, people are very polite and they care about things like that. Um, and that's a totally different culture than I grew up in, which is, I was raised by wolves in California in the Bay area. So <laughs> very
0: lovely wolves. I love your, your wolves personally. Aww, thank you. But they didn't,
2: <laughs> my parents like did not raise me with like, please. And thank you, ma'am. Like <laughs> they didn't even raise me with please. And thank you. Hardly. Like <laughs> literally like it, it's, I don't know. I, I don't blame them for it. Like I, I love, I love that it's given me that perspective that those like old world ways are just not necessary. I feel like that's kind of the West coast vibe, like old world stuff, just kind of people got on wagons and then they didn't need all that crap anymore. And so they just like left it behind and, came out there. I don't know, at least for the the whites on the West Coast.
0: Maybe. They left behind politeness for passive aggression, I think.
2: It's developed over the years for sure. Um, that's a whole other thing. But I just, I just feel like there's a lot of like manners and niceties and things like that. Now that I have traveled the world more and met people from other states and from the East Coast, it's just a different vibe. So I'm a little paranoid about like always being seen as like super rude and brazen and tactless and like I just feel like a bull in a china shop sometimes in Nashville because people are very genteel
1: about things. I'm laughing because I'm from the Northeast, so going out West for me, all of a sudden I've had the first experience of my life of being kind of like the bitch in the room or the person that's like, we need to make a fucking decision. I've been accused of
2: being like an East Coast person on the (gasps) West Coast because I think I think I am like a little harsh for for even West Coast people, like. They're like, are you sure you're not from the East Coast?
0: Because you're kind of mean. I <laughs> know yeah, you're great. You would fit right in in Syracuse, you know. And where, where I'm from, sarcasm is a term, a form of affection. You know, if I'm not being sarcastic with you, it means I don't like you enough to try. Though to to speak to what you're saying about like n- it not necessarily making you friends or like help, helping you be like one of the cool kids or whatever. It's like, fuck cool. Authenticity is the only thing that I give a shit about these days because we're surrounded and inundated with so much bullshit that I know if someone is being, like, brazen and rude and brassy and in my face, they're being real. Like, they're not faking that shit. I mean, obviously there are ways that that happens in our, like, propaganda media that goes out there, there's all kinds of manufactured rage or whatever. But generally speaking, when I see somebody who's not afraid to just say what needs to be said, I know that they're not necess- they're not doing that to, to win points or make friends, and they're not full of shit. And that is a, a way better character trait to me than politeness or niceness.
2: Yeah, it's like that article is so that people who swear are more honest. Which I do, mm-hmm. I believe that honestly, <laughs> I do. Fuck yeah, um, <laughs> <but> I, I <laughs> don't fuck know. yeah.
1: Some <laughs> science, but I still I choose to believe it. That's awesome. Um, kind of speaking to the authenticity thing, and also you moving to Nashville and being kind of in the sort of new country and roots scene, if that's kind of where you'd place yourself I think there's a lot of interesting stuff happening in that scene though right now whether it's folks like Orville Peck or like um, there's a lot of great female songwriters coming on country right now it does feel like there's this sort of cool indie like country scene that's kind of come as I don't know if it's a reaction to pop country that seems a little more inclusive a little more progressive and a little more class conscious which is what original country music was a very class conscious genre for sure. It's poor people's music written by poor people. So I'm curious if that's been your experience at all, or if um, you kind of align with any of those artists. Well, there's always the performance of class too, in country. That's true.
2: So some of these people that you might be thinking of, and I'm not going to name names because again, I moved to Nashville. I am here to make friends. Um, (laughs) And I'm, I may be brash, but I'm not stupid. Um, but... Um, Can that there, be your tagline? <laughs> there, yeah, <laughs> there are definitely some, some people who I think are not necessarily authentic with the thing that they're doing, um, but, you know, they have good messages and people are willing to listen. And so I, I think that it's great. Anyone who's like diversifying country and making it not just, you know, hicks that want to be rich or rich people that want to be hicks, or I don't know which one it is. I think it's great there's still a lot of you have to be like pretty stunning to operate in that scene you know and orville peck i guess gets past because he's got the mask but he's probably cute i bet i don't know what he looks um <laughs> but i i love it i love like that that country or at least like the americana alt country kind of scene can be a lot more queer and progressive and there's like a space for that that definitely helps me and my band for sure that there's like any kind of space for that instead of just like people looking at us like sideways Um, moving to Nashville. They're like, okay, you sort of fit in this scene with like Margot Price, Casey Musgrave, Sturgill, Mm -hmm. Tyler Childers, you know, the, the thing about those acts though, um, besides Casey, Casey does a little more pop stuff. They tend to try to like keep it very country, you know, with a capital C and it's like more like classic country. And that's just like, not what we do. So we don't fit that well in that because we're not doing like Patsy Cline sounding songs, Mm -hmm. you know, we're doing kind of like progressive, weird, new acoustic fusion stuff. And we're just like nerds for all kinds of different influences. Yeah, it's like it's nice when you fit in a pigeonhole Um, Mm -hmm. that can be really easy in the beginning of a career. But I like to say I like to tell myself that we're playing the long game, (laughs) you know, the, the authentic long game. We're just being ourselves. And then someday, maybe what we are will be on trend.
0: Hey, though, I will say you are, I think you're completely on trend right now, in addition to being completely relevant. And you know, just having seen you over the years, I think when maybe like 2012 was the first time I saw Front Country, I, you know, the way that you've sort of cohesively evolved and you're not like in conflict with your sound or anything like you're 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 growing and and I think that the way that you're incorporating yourselves into into the Nashville scene is is different you know you're you're bringing a different energy than either most country or Americana bands that I've heard recently I think And I'm not just saying that because you're my friend and I love you. Like it is. It's great.
2: Well, thanks. But yeah, like different people don't like different, you know, like they're, they're like, what is it? Like, if you can't, if I can't figure out what it is in like two seconds, I'm over it, you know? So, I mean, again, maybe the long game is where it's at and, and that (laughs) will like just be so great that we're like this like category of one someday for, (laughs) for now, I think it, It has sort of put us in this, like, nether region. We're just, like, too eclectic for most people. They, like, don't know how to explain us to their friends. And it's like, are you going to listen to something that your friend tells you to listen to? They're like, this is really great. I can't explain it to you, though. No, you're not going to listen to that. You don't
0: know if you're (laughs) going to like it. You have to have, like, a hook. I think you are definitely, I think you're, like, ahead of a lot of curves, though, just by, like, trying to zoom out. You're not trying to, like... Just look at what needs to happen to make yourself successful right now. I mean, do you feel like that's giving you more freedom to be authentic by not by just not necessarily expecting what you do to come across to everyone?
2: Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Obscurity is great for creativity because you can do whatever you
0: want. <laughs> I can um, attest to that.
2: <laughs> so our new album. It's called Impossible World, which you could take a lot of different ways these days. It just happens to be a line in one of the songs, but I like it because it, it has many entendres. <laughs> I can't do that reflexive R in that word. I um, never do those. So our new album is Hail Mary Pass sort of thing. You know, we found ourselves sort of in this like plateau sort of situation where like we had nothing to do but just be creative and see what happened. There's literally no expectation that this is going to like bring us any more commercial success than we've ever had. But we just kind of said, fuck it and did the album that we wanted to do. We had like no rules anymore for instrumentation. Yeah. We're really proud of it. I think we made something really special. I have no idea though, if it's just going to confuse the shit out of everyone. And yeah, I don't know. I think it's good, but it's, I don't, I don't know how to explain it to anyone. And I don't know if it's going to hook people in, in a way that, that they're ready for right now. I don't know.
1: That's sometimes the most interesting art, though. If someone described an album to me as "I don't know how to describe this, but I think you'll like it," that would personally hook me. But I'm a former music writer, and I like eclectic stuff, so I'm sure you'll find your audience. It might, it might take years for us to
2: to find those people. We'll see how it goes. We'll see if there's a music industry also like next year. It's so hard for me to think of like, okay, yeah, we're gonna like plan the next album's gonna like build on this one. It's like it's like, what is there a next album? I have right. no idea. Everything's so unclear.
1: Yeah. What is that experience like right now? I mean, I know a little bit through Emily and other musicians, but just what's your experience been like living in the uncertainty of the music industry right now?
2: My experience is a thousand times better because I'm on unemployment right now.
1: Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And I think if you ask me that when unemployment runs out at the end of the year, if things don't get better, if there's not some other kind of assistance um, and Universal healthcare, all of the things. Yeah, I think uh, the stress level will be very different than it is right now. Right now, I'm chilling. You know, we we've been getting unemployment and getting paid to sit around and like create stuff, teach ourselves like mixing and audio engineering. Um, I've been learning Ableton, which is super hard and not like any other DAW. And I've just been teaching myself stuff. I I taught myself Adobe Premiere. I've been learning how to like edit video and stuff. So I'm I feel more self-contained than ever as a artist but I feel very unsure as well so I'm adaptable I know I can adapt but it's really hard to see we were making our entire living off of live as most artists have been it's kind of like the remaining pillar of any kind of money in the music industry so most people were having to tour for over 80 percent of their income and now that's gone So we need another paradigm. And I'm not sure what that is because everything else has been demonetized.
0: Well, it's interesting thinking about that as far as, you know, when we're looking at what kind of world we're trying to build and that we're going to end up having to build, I think a lot of it is going to have to do with what we put value on and how we get those things. And is it going to be about money or is it going to be about skill sharing and barter and community um, you know performances. You know if you if you have a small community and some people play music, and they play music and the community cooks for them and they you know it's like I feel like that kind of model is gonna end up being the more prevalent one that we see moving forward, especially if this pandemic and the next one aren't um, responded to a lot better. Of course, we're gonna have a whole lot of chaos because of. Just the electoral politics aspect, let alone COVID, the way that folks have been innovating and sharing and um, and performing and like I haven't been as good at it as many have, but you know the way that I've seen you do it and a lot of other folks, it's I think it's the the new paradigm is shaping unintentionally right now. I don't know. Do you see that? Yeah,
2: I think you're absolutely right about like community music. This whole music industry thing is like you know only like a century old you know and music is so much bigger than that and there's been these other little blips like the patronage system that allowed the sort of classical composers to exist and so there's been these different systems over time that have sort of allowed for a lot of um a lot of creativity at one time or a market for it or whatever but musicians are going to be okay at least because most of us are pretty adaptable I think that nobody likes you at first right like everybody everybody starts out playing music in a community context in some way, right? Like, yeah, sure. Some boy bands are thrown together, you know, like through LinkedIn (laughs) or something. I don't know. Um, But, you know, I think most musicians come from a context of knowing what that is to play for their supper, whether it's like playing some indie house show or playing, you know, around a campfire if you're like acoustic musicians playing a square dance, you know, there's all these community contexts. So I think I think we'll be okay. Everybody knows the music will go on. Obviously that's Mm -hmm. what we do, but whether or not this is the end of an era, as far as like the commercial music industry, I don't know. It, (laughs) it might be for the moment. It's, it's just hard to say, right? Because I guess the reason I say that, like, of course people are going to be ready for live music again. Like as soon as it's safe to come back out, people are going to be like raging and ready to go. But what I worry about is the corporate consolidation. Um, that's happening. Live Nation is just like going to snatch up venues, AEG. There's Mm -hmm. just a couple conglomerates that, that own most of the venues and all these independent venues are folding. Um, And they're just going to get bought up by these conglomerates. And then, you know, if Melody who fronts her band, you know, like runs her mouth in a way that they don't like, maybe I'm blackballed from that and I don't get to play in that scene, you know, or maybe the risk is too great for them financially that they'll only go with, you know, the acts that had really big numbers before, you know? So they're really picking, you know, the top 1% of winners. And then it's just 99% on the bottom who are, you know, back to playing square dances and playing for dinner, you know? So that's okay. We'll be okay. but, But it's possible that there's not, you know, any kind of musical middle class, if you will. I kind of hate that and it's not like we were making a middle class living. I would say maybe we were sort of in lower middle class musician wise if we're just like looking at a spectrum. Um, (laughs) But as far as income, no, like low income for sure. I like tabulated it for a piece that I wrote for no depression that's going to come out this month. And yeah, it's like, you know, we've, we've been making what the average Walmart full-time employee makes and then add 30% in self-employment tax off the top of that. So less than that. Um,
0: and you pay for your own health care yeah. as well, or do you qualify for state?
2: Uh, yeah, we qualify for really, really cheap health care. At least, at least I do. No, every, not everybody's in the same position, though. People have mm-hmm. different situations. Um, it's not a pretty picture if you actually crunch the numbers of being an indie musician. Um, right. I don't recommend crunching the numbers. you got to <laughs> do it because you like have to do it or... Really really want to do it because it doesn't it doesn't work, none of this works
0: right these days it's not it's like planning ahead is not really a thing, even if you're good at budgeting it's not really a thing, and planning ahead for how an industry that's already pretty volatile is going to be shaping up as the world literally explodes is not something that any of us can expect to really be good at doing so. I think you're you're right to you know just kind of take the approach of like it's going to be okay, and in, in as much as anything is going to be okay, and and we are seeing now as a culture, as a country, um, or you know, a so-called United Nation, what we value and what we need. You know, the the truth is that we're seeing through this pandemic, like how many of of our gatekeepers are actually unnecessary. And how many of our industries are parasitic and, you know, how much amazing talent and energy and brain power is sort of lying dormant in people while we try to fit ourselves into the the corporate conformity machine. That was supposed to be an up note. I don't know where it went. (laughs)
2: That's okay. I think we can all handle the the down notes as long as they're real, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, it does kind of speak to like are probably opportunities we're not even seeing that will come out of necessity but what those look like is so hard to say it's an interesting time I feel just like on a spiritual level sort of like how you kind of sit with uncertainty and just realizing that that's really how it's always been but now it's just really apparent totally
2: We were just having a good run, really, you know, like we were such little sweet summer children.
0: (laughs) We really were. But you know what we we do get now, which I think is awesome, is that we have been able to have so much more in-depth and interesting conversations as part of our mainstream lives, And, you know, stigmas are being just shattered left and right, you know, from sex positivity or body positivity, all these things that we're talking about um, in the context of all of the movements that are happening right now. I almost forgot about the vibrator review conversation we were going to have.
2: (laughs) I mean, vibrator sales must be through the roof right now, right? So much. I I haven't looked at the numbers, but...
3: I'm sure. They
0: have to be. I'm sure it's a thriving industry. Do you know they make a vibrator that you can actually um bluetooth connect to your music? and it will vibrate to your music, and I feel oh, like Front Country like, should definitely brand some of these. That's and like five sell years Sell them old. at your merch table when you finally have a chance to tour again. That's like but on your old technology. Um, <laughs> but, um. yeah, I know, I know. Well, I got one. I got one five years ago as a as a thank you gift for playing Body Storytelling. Yes. I think it was about five years ago. Yeah, it, yeah that's how I found it. I was like, what? This is a thing? This isn't
3: Amazing.
2: Yes. As I understand it, I have, I have extensively researched these products. Okay. And (laughs) that company, which by the way, I won't name them, but they are a company who I bought a very expensive small vibrator from that instantly stopped working and charging. Um, And it was very expensive. It was way too expensive. Um, I think, yeah, it was like an $80 bullet vibe. So I think people know who I'm talking about right now. (laughs) I'm very cross Mm. with them and they're Canadian. And, um, okay. <laughs> this company also makes that product that you're talking about and a bunch of other Bluetoothy ones that uh, everybody, all the reviews say that they're like the ca- connectivity sucks and it just like drops out all the time. And it's like, they're just not doing a good job, whoever they maybe are. That, that should technology be your... should be improved.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe that should be your COVID, uh, next phase of COVID project is like develop a functional Bluetooth Vibrator that is both small and powerful and dependable. I
1: mean, if my Bluetooth speaker works a couple rooms away from my phone, surely
0: one would You would thing. think so. Like, this is the way to change the world right here. Maybe
2: it turns out that our pussies are like Faraday cages. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That would make us even more magic than we already right. are. First of all. <laughs> Second of all, like I feel like we just need to experiment until we get it right. All of the world's resources, at least fifty percent, could be devoted to working on this technology and there would still be plenty for healthcare and education and we just would have to stop the wars, that's all. Yeah. But like more less wars, more orgasms, right? Right.
2: I mean, you're speaking to my San Francisco (laughs) little baby heart, you know, like (laughs) this is what what they were talking about back in the 60s. Exactly. And we're still talking about it now. Yeah. Yeah. I worry about the war machine for sure with Biden, for sure. It's problematic. Harm reduction reasons, obviously still voting for him 100 percent. But yeah, we're just going to have to like be on our toes and like and keep our liberal friends on their toes to keep fighting you know like
3: mm-hmm.
2: if you want to do it yeah. in the pussy hat that's fine but just get <laughs> out here for the anti-war protest get out here for you know right. to keep it going um yeah we gotta <laughs> we we have to keep pressure on them I'm hoping I'm hoping that the polls are right and it's going to be a landslide but um we can't chance it obviously so it's if it's a landslide landslide then right. there's only so much they can do that's why it's got to be a landslide so I mean This isn't that relevant because I know this is coming out the day after. So maybe you guys know things, but maybe you don't know things. (laughs) Even worse, maybe, yeah. I I hope that if you're listening to my voice right now, you know what the result of the election was, and it's not going to be a drawn-out process. I I wish that for you with all my heart. I wish that for my future self.
1: Yeah, our future selves, hopefully, will be like, well, that was an unnecessary thing to worry about, but... (sighs) Uh <sighs> yeah well at least we have each other right <laughs> I mean at a distance
2: that's mm. so sad but I, I do really appreciate it. I, I love how like I feel like more people are are talking and doing like podcasts like this like and people are b- being involved that maybe wouldn't have thought that they had time for it before you know like yeah have time on their hands for projects
1: it's definitely a good time for creativity and self-work if there's any upside to all this, it's that no, totally. humanity yeah, think needed more of both. So
2: paying attention to their mental health more, which is a really big upside of this. I heard your interview about sort of trauma stuff and and as someone who hasn't experienced trauma, it totally resonated with me that like I feel like this is more traumatic for people who don't have the tools, who mm. who haven't really had to had to deal with something like this, you know. I think all those people are gaining a lot of empathy, I think, for people who have anxiety, who have trauma, who have autoimmune things, you know, anybody who finds it hard to go out sometimes, um, Mm -hmm. like, all of us are sort of feeling that way now, and it's, it's really good to have that empathy, so I think we'll be able to talk about this stuff a lot more, and we'll be able to accommodate each other, and, you know, have adaptable accommodations, for various people where if you can phone into a meeting, let's do it. If you can do a zoom, if you can do it over an email, do it, you know, Mm -hmm. time is precious.
0: Yeah. And I, I actually, from the beginning of the pandemic, I think the thing that occurred to me that was that it felt like everyone was on deployment together now. Like it had the energy of when I was, during both of my Iraq deployments, it was just sort of this tense energy. Um, You never knew what could happen. Um, You don't know if you are actually going to survive the day or the year. You know, your leaders are all uh, idiots and assholes (laughs) who don't really seem to know any better than you do what they're doing. You know, and then getting out of the military, there was a, a lot of you know, everyone I know was traumatized in some way, whether or not they recognize it. And now it feels like everyone in the nation knows what it's like uh, to to just be completely shaken and completely freaked out and have to just accept that you might not make it through this. And it, it's, I know it sounds kind of dark, but at the same time, it's like, I feel like some solidarity a little more these days, more than I maybe did before. Totally.
2: Yeah. I hope we can come together. I mean, that's what we need to do like in a real way though, not just like, Oh, Biden wins. And now we're unified and puppies and rainbows. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Like like in a real way, like we have work to do. Let's get together. Let's do it. We're all on the same page. Racism's real. Okay. Let's get to work. Right. Instead Mm of all of this, just this like treading water, trying to like survive this like, Total gaslighting administration, and
3: mm-hmm.
2: I mean, it is it is worse to be gaslit from the other side. Like you were saying um, about mm-hmm. about the day after the election in twenty sixteen, mm-hmm. how how bad it felt to be around people who who sort of were like, oh, it wasn't bad before. Like mm-hmm. that's such an awful feeling. So I hope we can refrain from making one other feel that way in the future.
1: Move past the yeah. gaslighting on all sides. Not to both sides of it, but maybe the gaslighting I mean, it's, in it's ourselves. Different.
2: different, but it's both equally harmful for sure.
0: For sure. I would feel so much better um, about things if more of the people in my life who are urging people to vote for Biden would also be acknowledging that he um, is actually not a good person, but he just happens to be not an outright sociopathic fascist. And that's where the bar is set these days. And if we could just do that, then we can avoid the potentiality of Joe Biden becoming the president, and now everyone's convinced themselves he's good. And we don't get to fight against the things that we've been saying we'll fight about after he's elected. And as somebody who got involved in anti-war activism during Obama's presidency and felt myself really spinning wheels pretty hard and come meeting up with a lot of blank stares and deafened ears, definitely thinking about the the possibility that we could go into a Biden presidency with that. But I mean, that's still the bright side of the darkness.
2: (laughs) Oh, for sure. But yeah, I've been, this is what I've been harping on people about since he became the nominee, which is, which is like, okay, this is the state of things right now, but, if you want to unite the left, the way to do that is not everybody needs to get on board with the centrist opinion, right? The way to do Mm -hmm. that is to not gaslight your left flank to let them know, okay, he's not perfect, especially for you. Like I understand all these totally valid criticisms that y'all have. And we're willing to like fight with you after the election for that. Like that would just go so much further toward unifying, but Mm -hmm. I'm just seeing, you know, more of the polarization, more of people like, you know, salting the wound with, with those people and them being like, well, screw you, I'm going to vote third party because I'm in a blue state and I get to, and like, maybe that's true. I don't know that it necessarily matters. Maybe just focus on the swing state friends.
0: We'll see. And the local, the local elections as well. You know, the, the episode that will have aired right before this one is, uh, we talked with, uh, Alex Scott, who's a, a state Senate, uh, candidate right now in Oklahoma, and um you know she's a young activist making a big splash in her local political scene and i think i think there is a lot of hope for local change no matter how the the national election goes so hopefully we have gotten that through enough people's heads to where they're they're paying close attention to local races and not thinking about voting as like the only civic duty yeah Totally.
2: Yeah, I know I know. I did the myopic thing where I was looking mostly at the top of the ticket. It's really hard to not do that right now. Mm-hmm. It's understandable, I think. So, I, yeah, the least we can do is not, like, shame each other and infight. Like, they, there's so many accusations that the infighting is always coming from the furthest extreme side toward the center. But that's, I mean, that's not the way that I see it. And I'm not even... I don't even consider myself on the super extreme left, you know, like, mm-hmm. I just... I'm looking at it and I see so much antagonism from the middle from the more center left people outward saying you just need to give it the program and that just doesn't work you're invalidating people's life experience and if you can just accept where people are at and compromise or work with them and find solidarity that would be so much better and you know quit this like gaslighting move of saying oh he's a perfect candidate you know mm-hmm. cuz he obviously isn't you know and it, it doesn't help to say, oh, well, most people voted for him. That's why he got the nomination. Was, we all know how that went down. It was a hard like, week. Exactly. <laughs> but the, the consolidations and deals and dropouts were quite Thanks. interesting. It was quite, uh, quite the choreography.
1: I do think there is a level that where we might have to think about, too, the fact that regardless of how we vote for with the Democratic Party, there is a structural interest in not moving things further to the left and keeping moving things further to the right, even within the Democratic Party. And that is something I think we need to reckon with.
2: Yeah, the Overton window is something (laughs) I think about all the time. And it's like, I hope Democrats are just looking at that concept and realizing how far to the right they've allowed things to get dragged just by being... Believing in bipartisanship when nobody else on the other side does anymore, you know, like just like always being the goody two shoes that, you know, thinks that the the process is going to work itself out because of our perfect system. Like that's not how that works.
1: Where they have a vested interest in not letting the process work out and looking like they're making a difference, which is. The conclusion I have come to more these days personally, but I don't know. I want to try to believe that there are still people with good intentions there, but I honestly think it's a it's a rigged one team game. We have to have a
2: electoral reform, yeah, Otherwise, absolutely. like think about what ranked choice voting could do right. The Republican Party is very unpopular right now, yeah because of the way that they've split down this Trump line, like there's absolutely room for another party there. There's room for a party between the never Trumpers and some Democrats who maybe would find more common cause, you know, there's room for these new parties to emerge, but not with our current electoral system. Like I kind of wish that we had ranked choice voting just right away so that things could restructure quicker.
1: Yeah, totally. It doesn't seem like it
0: will. Some local, um, Local districts have done, I mean, I know Oakland was doing ranked choice voting for mayor, I believe, um, when I was living there, you know, like some, some places do. And it's, I think the fact that we don't have it is indicative of the fact that this system has never been intended to be fully representative. And if we want it to be that way, we're going to have to do it from the ground up because it's not going to happen from the top down The powers that be really like being the powers that be. (laughs) And they have the ability to stay there right now with the way things are. So, with like a couple of tweaks, if the car can break down, you know, a few miles further from the dealership, they're down for that. They're not gonna fix it. And they're definitely not gonna replace the car.
1: We like car metaphors for politics on this podcast. I just down. For, I
2: don't even I'm like cars. Right. I'm, I'm so down. My yeah. mom owns an auto body
0: shop, so I grew up grew up around cars. I don't think I knew that. That's you awesome. Didn't know that, really? No, I don't know. Somehow, was a just, badass. Yeah, I knew she was a, a badass for other reasons. I didn't realize that was one of them. Yeah, yeah. She she
2: runs an auto body shop, Walker's Auto Body, and um. And my aunt is the painter, and my other, you know, quote-unquote aunt, Dina, is the <laughs> other painter. So it's two female painters on the one side of the shop, and then uh, my uncle is a body man. My various cousins have worked there. My grandma used to be the receptionist. It was, like, very much a family business, and it, it still is. Um, that's awesome. So I I feel lucky to have grown up around that and such, like, super strong female energy. Like, that's probably why i am the way that i am today it definitely is for sure
0: i'm so glad you are the world is a better place for it
3: <laughs> oh no true. you are <laughs>
0: yeah. well fierce women win and they help other people win too even people who are not women and i wish that more more folks understood that
1: when we all win we all win you know it's like not a hard concept <laughs>
2: shouldn't go more in the vein of conservative podcasts and have just more hours of talking just you know what I mean yeah like
1: what how long is Joe Rogan it's like three hour interviews you know yeah because I think like we all get to be wrong and we all get to be problematic sometimes and also sometimes I think that like the fear of saying the wrong thing sometimes doesn't allow us to tackle real structural oppression because we aren't willing to have tough conversations. And we want to look like we're always saying the right thing. And we want to look like we're always doing the right thing and that we're always, you know, sorry to use this term, but like we're always being the most woke, like perfect person, but like none of us are. So if we can approach that from an honest space, I think that that's a lot more productive if we want to actually um, address the root causes that have created a world where some people are not considered fully human beings. And that's bullshit. I don't need
2: people to be perfect, perfectly woke. Like that's yeah. like, that's boring and like not useful really either. Yeah. Like I understand the, the argument against PC, you know, it's that mm-hmm. it's the, oh, everybody's just like policing their language so much. That they never talk about anything real and they never tackle hard issues. Like that's not what we're about, and that's not what we should be about. It's such a simplistic understanding It's about actually being willing to admit if you got something wrong and like it's you don't have to get it perfect. you should talk about hard mm-hmm. stuff, but you should also be willing to listen to the people who it most affects mm-hmm. and like without interrupting you know mm-hmm. and like take their experience at face value and like believe them that's what it takes i think
0: but yeah it it really I know for me like I've had to come a long way in my awareness of the ways that I speak and act that are fucked up. You know, I had to unpack and unlearn a lot of misogyny and racism that I did not even realize was there, both from like the military and just growing up in the United States because it's just as much a part of this nation as red, white, and blue. Yeah, it's like the humility that it requires to be able to say, you know what, I was wrong. I fucked it up. I have... Friends who will write posts about white people, and I completely, you know, about white people do this and that. And of, and the first time I started reading that, I was like, well, not all white people do that, right? And my brain mm-hmm. had that thought, yeah, and found a way to frame it so that it wasn't saying that. And 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 I didn't even realize it at first until I started seeing it more and being like, wait a minute, like part of. Doing this work is not not defending myself every time I start to feel attacked um, by by truth and instead to look and say like, oh, so how does this apply to me? And how can I not keep doing it in the future? Because it'll actually help me communicate on a way more evolved and effective plane
1: like it's interesting, though, I think, to kind of have to deal with that stuff in real time and, like, recognize those reactions <laughs> within ourselves and realize when they're serving us and serving a cause or when they're not, you know, and they're just serving your ego.
2: The One of the, the biggest things that I've sort of learned in, like, trying to do more anti-racism work internally in the last few years is, like, the, the radical notion that what if when people of color talk about their experience in the world and they talk about white people being racist what if that did apply to me what if that was about me because Mm -hmm. because it is eventually like
3: Mm -hmm. in
2: some in some way like what if what if I am still holding on to racist ideas like what if because I Mm -hmm. am like definitely I know that I am um and you can only fix it if you admit that there's a problem you know and like yeah so much um I totally resonate with that like Be able to say, oh, yeah, that's those other, you know, racist white people and not Mm -hmm. me. And of course, of course, it's like all of us, like white supremacy is is a system that we're indoctrinated into Mm -hmm. and we all play ball. We all benefit from it um, Mm -hmm. if we fit into the dominant paradigm. And and it's okay. It's like not with a value judgment. This is what we're born into. You just have to actively fight against it in every moment and be aware of all the facets of it and be trying not to be that in every moment. And you're going to fail sometimes. And you have failed, you have hurt people's feelings. You've been unintentionally racist, sorry to say, Uh but, and you're going to do it again too, no matter how woke you get. (laughs) And like, understanding all that is like, is a really good step. It's like liberating, you know, I'm not, I'm not here to say like, Oh, this, you know, the self-help version of anti-racism where you should do it because it makes you feel
1: great. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> right. it's not, no. That's
2: not what it's about, no. but you will become more human though and more empathetic and more um, able to have meaningful conversations with lots of different kinds of people instead of just like your own bubble. And that's all I can say for that. Yeah.
0: And be more effectively anti-racist, which is the goal. That's, you know, we're not necessarily trying to uh, make friends with, with anti-racism and we're not necessarily trying to like look at ourselves as though we're as though we're perfect at it um we're just trying to look at everybody like we're on we're somewhere on a spectrum of learning we're all somewhere (laughs) on a learning curve traveling (laughs) and (laughs) trying to get to a place where we understand things the best we can before we die you know (laughs) totally and it's not
2: like this arc of progress or anything it's like I could still, you know, make some racist mistake that, like, I would think would be so far back in my journey or whatever, you know, like, uh-huh. just by not thinking or being vigilant about it. It's yeah. it's not linear, and and it's just, like, it takes constant vigilance and awareness. Um, and it is, like, anything that's, like, an awareness yeah. practice, you do get better at it. So that's, that's the good news is that you... You do become more accustomed to like thinking that way um, more empathetically and just learning how to thwart the machinations of white supremacy when you can, when you see yourself doing it, taking up too much space, whatever it is, you know, like mm-hmm. then you just stop. You try to stop in that moment and maybe you're not successful, but at least you're being aware and maybe next time you'll get it right.
0: Right. You're building it muscle memory. Just like playing an instrument or it really is. It's like a muscle, isn't out. it? Yeah. We're working out our anti-racist muscle and mm. our anti-oppression muscle. And yeah, and I think that is it's a really good note, maybe to to wrap things on since we are going to um, <laughs> you know, be barreling into the apocalypse full full speed potentially by the time this is out. That mm. on on a good note, we are all the more we try to be better people, the more we will actually be like, you can't try to be better and fail. You're, you're gonna, you're gonna be better if you try.
2: That's true. You might learn a lot along the way yeah. if you, if you mm-hmm. do it the wrong way and you have to try a different way. But yeah, totally. I think if people feel really overwhelmed too about the way that things are, I think that that internal work is really important. I think a lot of activist friends of mine, especially dudes, sorry guys, um, are very externally sort of focused when it comes to activism. Mm -hmm. And I hear a lot of people, you know, sort of say that all this internal anti racism stuff is just like fluffy, uh, dare I say feminine stuff, you know, because that's what I hear when they sort of like talk that way is I'm like, oh, you mean this is like a feminine energy thing? This is like a internalized internal introverted sort of energy and like that's not valid you know of Mm. course it's valid we need both sides we need the external and the internal and I think if you feel really overwhelmed by the external activism you don't know what to do yet you can always be doing internal work you can be like checking out books on anti-racism Ibram X. Kendi is amazing I've learned so much from his his books, or if you don't have time for a book, I mean, the audio books are amazing too, um, but mm-hmm. there's also YouTubes of him giving talks that are really amazing. There's a podcast called, that's not how that works mm-hmm. out of Oakland. That's pretty great. That's two, um, two black women who are also life coaches and kind of in like, they're a little more on the like spiritual life coach side of life, which mm-hmm. is interesting if you're into that kind of perspective and they talk about anti-racism work like all the time. And they do, like, diversity, inclusion, education. And so they're really great at talking about that stuff. Um, I've just learned so much in this time. And doing the internal work uh, absolutely is going to help your external activism for sure. Because we have to get it together. And if we can't, like, be together as humans because we're, like, accidentally, like, stepping on each other's dicks. because <laughs> Because we're, like, bumbling around and we haven't done our work to figure out, like how to coexist together and not be perpetuating systems of oppression at all times with our actions. Like if we can't, if we can't do that, we're not going to get it together to, to do activism together.
0: Exactly. Here's to not stepping on each other's dicks.
1: Yeah. It was so nice to meet you. So that was a great conversation. I enjoyed that. Yeah, Sarah. Great to meet you too. Yeah.
0: I'll let you guys get
1: on
2: to whatever you're doing today.
0: Oh, hey, yeah, no, I just got to go to the weed store. That's pretty much on my... Uh,
3: yeah.
2: just Portland problems, whatever.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: what is... It's wait, so okay, true. how much does weed even cost in Portland right now? Because it's, like, I, through the freaking floor last time I was in Oregon.
0: I went to a dispensary, like, a week and a half ago, and they were selling... Uh, for for $3, you could get a dube tube with two half-gram pre-rolled joints in it. $6 for a gram of weed that was or three dollars sorry three dollars for a gram of weed and, Yeah, we saw two uh, dollars 50 cent grams
2: in eugene last time we were on yeah. tour in eugene which is probably a year ago um yeah. but however it had fucking seeds in it like literally i don't know if it's the hemp market is fucking with shit but like y'all have like fucked up the fucking sense that people have been working on since the damn <laughs> 70s like <laughs> up somebody <laughs> fucked up
0: <laughs> we need to get seriously fix the weed well fuck here's to good weed and valuable people and making the world a better place at least now at least mike pence's fly has a twitter account so we can follow yeah. that yeah. what's exciting do tired.
2: you guys want to make bets like do you think he has corona Mike Pence, he looks I mean, not
0: good
1: His pink i thought he good. tested negative but i don't know if but you have that, like two weeks after that shit to that's true out. Just I bet he has or it. Or he's just exhausted, constantly trying to not think about dicks. Yeah, Because that's like because the look on his face is permanently like, I'm trying so hard not to out.
2: That's <laughs> what I'm saying. That That's why Pete Buttigieg does such a good job being him because he yeah. got to be like closeted. Like Buttigieg, like <laughs> like he totally like got into the character. He's like, oh, I can play that guy because that guy would be me if he wasn't so fucking repressed.
0: So we We do not fit. stand.
2: That is true. We do not stand. But yeah. that's okay.
0: I was saying to somebody yesterday, I feel like Pete Buttigieg looks like the present, looks like the the kid from the Evil Empire album cover from Rages.
2: Amazing, oh, and, he does. And, oh my and,
0: god, with the cape. And, yeah, and and <laughs> like Mike Pence looks like that boy, but grown up. Yeah.
2: I feel he looks like like he looks like Draco Malfoy.
0: Oh wow! Yeah,
1: yeah. It's like one went to uh, the conservative churches, and the other went through McKenzie. <laughs> Potentially the CIA. <laughs>
2: Definitely had weird feelings about Buttigieg and where he was coming from for real. He also was more progressive before um in the campaign. I don't know if y'all remember that. He kind of he backtracked started, yeah, a oh bunch yeah, of stuff. no, he, remember? Yeah. not bode well. That's why I was not feeling Kamala in the primary either. Because mm-hmm. she sort of did that too. She was way, way more right. left. And then they all saw that Bernie and Liz had the left sewn up. So they're like, Well shit, we got a tax center. And then, mm-hmm. then you just look opportunistic
0: yeah
1: nobody.
2: but likes that's
0: you. rewarded in this country opportunism i mean look at who the current president is you know opportunism is what this freaking nation is built on whether yeah, you but want to the left doesn't like it, it though
2: the left it's doesn't true. dig it we have like such different rules right about like yeah the left side yeah. the people who might vote democrat democrat whatever you want to call it like
3: mm-hmm.
2: that side is way more like picky honestly <laughs> You know, yeah. over on the other side, they're yeah. just like single-issue voters,
0: right? They're like, he says he's pro-life, so that works. And I'm like, I feel like we should just like have have you know far-left politicians also just say that they're pro-life, and like just say that, and like don't even define it just or say, redefine I'm it like, to the max yeah, where take it becomes
2: meaningless slash means. What meaningful
0: it should mean. right yeah. as in like i am pro-life as in everyone gets health care everyone gets a good education universal mm-hmm. basic income they're
2: taking it to to the max these days too i don't even understand my one trumper cousin is like making up stories about democrats like knocking babies over the head with a hammer after yeah. they come out of the womb like it's like this like this <laughs> like when do they like, have time to do like, that like, like late term abortion turned to like live birth abortion or something or like now they're in trump keeps repeating this thing where he's like they kill them after they're born and they literally believe this i'm like (laughs) i i I can't get her to be like i'm like do you really think that i believe that do you think that anyone believes that and she's like well it's true you know some of them do maybe you just don't know but that's what they want to do they just want to bash them on the head with a hammer after they come out like you're like this is they've and then there's the whole thing like that i'm seeing crop up on a bunch of country music people have spoken out about about issues lately yeah. and their Facebook wall has been like a dumpster fire
3: yeah. of
2: ridiculous comments that are like just more unhinged than usual because this whole QAnon thing is like mm-hmm. in the mix suddenly people are just like being accused of being pedophiles or pedophile enablers we were called pedophile enablers on our wall oh. <laughs> for our tiny band for oh. for, for advocating for like voting and like somewhat progressive politics like they were like oh you're a dem and you're a pedophile like they literally in like there's this whole like demon crats and it's like they've gone they've jumped the shark completely wow. to yeah. like not even be like oh well you're a commie i mean they're saying that too but right but now they're like you also literally like literally kill babies it's like
0: turned into this like
1: they've gone full satanist with the conspiracy yeah. theory yeah like it's,
0: satanism is not anywhere near as bad as the kind of shit that they're putting out there
1: no most satanists that i know are pretty nerdy
2: satanists yeah. are cool as shit yeah. every satanist yeah. that i know is super cool um yeah. yeah so but obviously that has nothing to do with satanism it's like the satanic panic <laughs> right where yeah they were convinced that like preschools were like it was the same thing. It's just rehashed. They thought there was like a basement in a preschool in l a and there was satanic ritual. like it's the same thing as comet ping pong as Pizzagate rehashing the shit.
1: Time is a flat circle
2: at the point at which, like you can call your political opponent a pedophile or a demon.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: like we've you know we've reached the point of like dehumanization, mm-hmm. and you could literally do anything. You could justify any kind of violence. You could justify kidnapping. A governor of a state. Yeah,
1: that shit that
2: happened today. Which is like, probably not
0: going to be the first time. Like, you yeah. know that there's other groups who are like, oh, noted. Cool, we'll do that better.
2: Yeah, they actually, they detailed all their um, their methods. <laughs> like, they had everybody put their cell phones in a bag or something, right, and put them upstairs. And, but there was an informant. The FBI had an informant. Of course. So the only glee that I get out of this is that maybe there's these, like, right-wing militia groups around the country that are just, like, pissing their pants paranoid. That there's an informant in their midst and they're just going to like claw each other's eyes out trying to figure out who the informant is and just like implode.
0: Or like what if they just all end up informants because they all will turn on each other like if they have to like it would be hilarious if at some point they're just all informants trying to get each other to like do the thing and then they're all like writing. Like I I feel like that would just be the perfect end to the the United States. That would be a really good comedy actually. I think we might need to write that. Let's make It it. Is
2: there a comedy We've got like time. I'm trying to think. <laughs> I know there's one about like, about like ISIS in the UK from a while ago. I didn't watch it though. Maybe I should.
1: Oh know? yeah. Like four lions. That's so good. That. It's it good? so, so good. Okay. Chris Morris is a genius. Definitely going to watch that maybe tonight. Cool.
2: Um, yeah. So we need an American version of that basically for like militia. I think it'd be hilarious. It would be like the Christmas blockbuster.
0: Oh my God! A militia mockumentary would make my entire life brighter. Can we hilarious. do? Like, can we do like a Christopher Guest or like a show? Um, I guess like Shits Creek, is kind of the, yeah, like Schitt's like Creek. Shits Creek, but for like a shitty militia. Like I want Catherine O'Hara and Eugene Levy oh to yes. make a United States militia mockumentary so so bad. Oh my God! This and needs to happen. I'm already buying tickets in my mind.
2: Yes, we're here for this.
0: Oh, that's the hopeful note that I like. Amazing. Yay. Okay, that's a good
2: hopeful note. I thought like that's
0: a good hopeful <laughs> note. We've, we've hopeful. All All right, right, so cool. There's something
2: hopeful in here for you guys. If I hold
3: you a little, sealed it with the mm. If I treated you better, would it still end up like this? Where I'm stressed out, trying to turn it around, but it doesn't come.
0: Folk is hosted, produced, and edited by Sarah Baranowskis and Emily Yates. The opening song is In a Major Key by Emily Yates. This episode's guest has been Melody Walker, and the featured songs were American Dream and Broken Record by Front Country. For show notes and links, go to whatthefolkpod.com. You can follow, subscribe, and share us with all your friends at What The Folk Pod on all the socials, and we hope you do. Till next time, stay safe and take care of each other. Thanks for
3: listening.